Come on, let's give God a praise right now. Can we do that? Come on, let's give him a praise. Come on, we're not done. I must warn you because I, I woke up early uh, this morning and yesterday I posted something on Twitter and Facebook over, uh, I honestly believe that we're living in the day of Christless Christianity and uh, we've gotten really good at having a body, of, uh, the headless body of Christ because a uh, great body, no brains. And we're living in a very time of what I call secular Christianity. We have learned how to do Jesus without Jesus. And I went to bed grieved last night because it's kind of like when you work in the restaurant and the, the dining room looks awesome and you're like, it's incredible, but you, you want to whisper to somebody, but if you saw the kitchen, you would not eat this. And what I mean by that is after traveling 2 million miles and speaking to over 2 million people, I'm very grieved. And so I must share something that is not what I plan to share. In the, in the I Am Remnant book, I, I wrote a, uh, a whole chapter called Tangled. And I'll touch on that a little bit because in that chapter I talk about a man by the name of Isaiah. I want to hang out with Isaiah when I get to heaven because I imagine he's going to be pretty scary. Fire in his eyes, dust blown, wild looking prophet. But what I love about Isaiah is he didn't just prophesy, he got specific. He laid it all out. But you have to understand something. His ministry did not really start, not really, until one day when he had an encounter. I love what my wife always says, what Karen always says. She says, I'm so tired uh, of just visitations. I want a habitation. So you must realize as I move into this word, I don't think I'll go very long, but I do want to go ahead and tell you the altar area is open. Because when humanity meets divinity, that's an altar call. And what you've got to begin to realize is I love what William Booth, one of my heroes, said. He said, the greatness of man's strength is determined by the measure of his surrender. I love what Oswald Chambers says. He said, find a man that fears God and, or fears man and he'll fear everything. Find a man that fears God and he won't fear anything. T.L. Osborne, I, I love quotes. As you can tell, I have a CD-ROM back there with thousands of quotes on it and, and, and messages and all that kind of stuff. I love quotes, but T.L. Osborne said it best. He said, he said um, you'll, you'll never see your dreams when you're looking through physical eyesight. You've got to look through the spiritual eyesight of the Lord. And so I've got to move into something that is not probably something I would share at a normal church on Sunday morning. What's that say about y'all? So if you have your Bibles, open to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Soon after, we'll go to Isaiah, the sixth chapter. But I must share a message this morning simply titled, In the Year That Pride Died. In the year I didn't have to be known anymore. In the year I could crawl through my house and fight every demon that had been chasing after my children. In the year that I could pray in the spirit over my family in the middle of the night. In the year that I did not ask him of anything. When is the last time you walked out of your prayer closet limping? Where he changed your name. See, the Lord spoke to me early this morning. He said, get up and read Obadiah. Maybe it's because I see some of the things that maybe I'm not even speaking to you this morning. Maybe I'm speaking to the nation via the airways. But I must share 
this word because it burns in my spirit. And I'm reminded of Matthew 23, 12. It says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I'm reminded of Malachi 1, verse 10. Oh, that we would shut the doors of the temple before we light another useless fire. There's so much I'd like to do because if you know me, I love to be funny. I love to be silly. It's, it's the early characteristics of my ministry, the crazy stuff. But I can't do that because it's hard to laugh when you're grieved. And I love what Pastor, he said it a moment ago. It's almost as if he had read my message. But be, if you're ever going to see God, you're going to have to die. And I'm here to talk to the ones in this area, in this group, in this, this compound, in this land, this holy ground that was created to launch airplanes. And so now it's going to, to launch believers. It's a takeoff. It's a headquarters. I've come to talk to the ones that are really understanding what it means to be remnant because remnant is really a cool cliche right now. And I'm watching it on Instagram and Twitter and all the cool stuff. Everybody's putting remnant and everything. I mean, it's I am remnant. I am remnant. Are you? Because I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm almost grieved at the direction that it's trying to go. And a dear friend who's a pastor down in Louisiana who's been taking he they're teaching at a homeless shelter. In Shreveport, they're teaching homeless people how to read by reading, why is God so mad at me? Because he's not mad at you, he's mad about you. He said they're getting wrecked when they're learning to, 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 to enunciate words. They're sitting and weeping. But he called me one day and he said, whatever you do, don't commercialize, I am remnant. Don't let them commercialize it. Don't let them take it. Don't make it a cool cliche because it'll disappear. And he made me mad because I am a, my mind's a PR mind. He ticked me off. So I'm like, Scott, thanks, bro. And then the Lord said, no, I asked him. He's a very prophetic gentleman. And he said, he said, don't let that happen. And God began to stir in my spirit. If you're going to be remnant, you need to really go a little bit deeper, Pat. You may have wrote a book on it, but you're not quite sure what it is. Can I get real this morning? Is that right? I'm reminded of the day that I was praying early in the morning and I said, God, I can't feel you. I can't feel you. This is not normal. What's going on? And the Lord whispered to me, Pat, I've gone to another level and I'm waiting on you to get there. See, I'm preaching about image management versus authentic living. Understanding what it means to have a true encounter. It's what Tozer said, before God can use a man greatly, he must crush him deeply. It's what Spurgeon said, sooner or later every man's got to face his daddy's demon. So I am here to confront some things this morning. And if it bothers you and, you and it offends you, the cool thing about being outside is we won't hear the door slam. But God is about to raise this house up. He's about to give this property an open door. And he says, I'm looking for a church without spot or wrinkle. That means he's got to apply the fuller soap to it and get us clean. And it means he's going to have to apply a little heat to get the wrinkles out. And the Lord told me to get up this morning. He said, begin to read this. And so I'm going to go there. Now watch, because I want to talk about in the year that pride died. And let's talk first about the downfall of a great king. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, are you ready? In Jerusalem, he made machines designed by skillful men for use on towers, on the corner defenses to shoot arrows and hurl large stones. I'm giving you the resume of a great king. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until, oh, excuse me, I skipped, you know, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. 
You can stop right there. At the moment you arrived is the moment that you better fall on your knees. In fact, the only thing that will tell you you've arrived is the devil and your GPS, and both of them lie. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride, everybody say pride. His pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord. He's God. He entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah, the priest, and 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. They confronted him, and they said, It's not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests of the sins of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you've been unfaithful, and you'll not be honored by the Lord God. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, excluded from the temple of the Lord. And it goes on to say that Jotham, his son, took over. Now follow me because I've got to share this. It's not what I had planned to share. And this morning I woke up and the Lord said, I want you to, to leave the trail you've been on. I want to take you down a journey because even yesterday as, as I, I posted something on Facebook kind of confronting a group that I used to be a part of that I preached for in Australia, and I confronted them, and, man, I got lit up. I got lit up. I got text messages. I got tweets. I got crazy stuff. And I thought, my God, I have provoked some devils. All because I was willing to say it's wrong. And I'm learning the only sin that's really recognized in the church is their form of bigotry of what they believe. Are you still with me? When you begin to study King Uzziah and begin to realize who he was, he started out great. He was so powerful. He had a very close friend by the name of the prophet Isaiah. And one thing came in and began to destroy him, and it was called pride. So I'm just preaching about in the year that pride died, in the year that, that, I, could, in the year that I could fall down, in the year nobody had to know my name, in the year that I could worship without being seen, in the year that I could pray without asking for anything, in the year that I was so desperate for God, in the year it wasn't about all the superficial stuff, in, in the year that I made up my mind that if it cost me everything, I'm still going to praise you, if it cost me being burned at the stake, in the year that I understood that in other nations right now there are families that are being surrounded by muslim terrorists and they're having their heads chopped off and and we're just whatever it doesn't matter in the year that i get emails from missionaries saying please pray because they're throwing we're, we're gonna have to throw our kids off of mountains to keep them from bowing to satan are you getting this i honestly believe that god is so tired of sharing glory with man and the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 19, he goes in. And somewhere along the way, Uzziah forgot his calling. He begins to believe that he can walk into the presence of God and burn incense. And it was not his place. Now, I believe in priests and kings. Revelation chapter 1 tells us, To him who loves and has freed us from our sins by love, by, by his blood, excuse me, and has made us to be kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory. I believe in priests and kings, but I also believe that you have to understand spiritual authority. 
That's why Romans 13 says, there is no authority except that which God has set. He who rebels against authorities is rebelling against who God has instituted. And it says they'll bring judgment on themselves. Are you still with me? So all of a sudden, he goes in and begins to burn incense on the altar. I'm not going to go into the deep part of that, but it wasn't his place. Immediately, the priest, Azariah, the chief priest, and the other courageous priest. I love it says that in the Bible because it, it's time for some courage to rise up. Courage isn't standing on some stage speaking and filling your flesh. No, courage is standing on a stage when no one wants to listen. And saying, this is what God says about America. nation that I weep over, a nation that I love, a nation that I still believe you take your cap off when they raise the flag, a nation that recently in California last year I spoke at the Wounded Warrior Project and I watched thousands of soldiers come weeping before God, many that had never been to church. It was an outdoor park situation, had never been to church. And on Memorial Day, I got to share and I watched these men get healed from things that happened in Vietnam. So you got to understand, I love our nation. My grandfather was a prisoner of war. So you've got to realize, I, I love our nation. But God is saying, we are living in perilous times. We're living in a time where we the debt is overwhelming, all of the other stuff. And this is a nation that was founded on God, a nation whose principles, I was just in the capital. You can see it everywhere. In God we trust founded on God, all the promises of God. But God says, you need to realize that the only way this nation will change is to be brought to its knees. But I understand authority. That's why I pray for our president. So I pray for the Congress. I've got friends that are congressmen. But the Bible says he begins to confront the authority. Those that were over the house of God. And as he's raging at them, I have learned if you want to take somebody off, stand there for a moment. You'll see what spirit's behind their actions. And he begins to rage. And immediately, as he's raging, and all these priests, 80 of them, as he's raging, all of a sudden, leprosy just goes poof, like a zit. Just pops up. And then it begins to spread. You know what leprosy is? It's the death of flesh. And all of a sudden, as the leprosy begins to spread, I can see the priest, they all just went. He doesn't even realize it. He's having so much screaming and ho- so much fun screaming and hollering. He doesn't realize he has started to die. And finally, I could see Azariah go, um, King, um, And I can see as Isaiah, who was a great man, who just loved to read the front lines too much instead of the obituaries, suddenly reaches up and his fingers sink into his flesh. And he knows immediately. I'll never forget, several years ago, Karen and I flew to uh, Hawaii to suffer for Jesus. And we were on our anniversary, and I preached for Dr. Morocco. I was there, but we took about 10 days and just had fun and, and almost died in the surf and a lot of other crazy stuff. And, and we are there for about 10 days, and, man, we then Karen, my wife's an adventurer. She's a lunatic. And she wants, I mean, anything crazy, she'll do it. And she goes, hey, let's take a helicopter ride. And I'm like, but there's a fan. What if we get cold and turn it off? 
And I'm trying to be real manly. I'm like a helicopter ride. She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah let's, let's, let's book a tour of the islands. And so I'm like, oh, praise God. Listen, I'm going to have to take a pill before the rapture. Now watch. And so all of a sudden we go and get in this helicopter ride. And, and we're flying around the islands and we're sitting in the front seat. And he's playing Top Gun in my headset. Danger zone. I'm serious. This guy literally had never left Nam. Now watch. And we're swooping around the islands and he's pointing, he's stopping and pointing at things and waterfalls and I'm just, I'm just doing so good to, to, to keep swallowing my throw up. And, and I'm sitting up there and I'm trying to be manly, but it's hard to be manly when you're literally dripping buckets of sweat. And it's awesome. It's awesome. We done. Good tour. Bye. Let's go home. And finally he comes to the corner of this island. He said, you know what that is? And he points at it. I said, I said, what? What? And he stops. He's pointing. We're hovering. He said, that's a leper colony. And I said, leprosy? Does that still exist in, in, you know, in, the, in the U.S.? He goes, oh, yeah. And he began to explain how they used to take the children and push them into the water when they got leprosy. And the missionaries are the ones that came and actually uh, helped eradicate a lot of it and all that kind of stuff. Began to teach the history of it. And I'm, I'm listening. And, and, he said, and he said this. He said, you know the best way to know you have leprosy? And I said, how is that? He said, you don't feel anything anymore. Everything gets numb. And I thought to myself, sitting over that island, my God, the church has leprosy. Limbs are falling off the body of Christ, but we don't even know it. Just shriveling up. And here's King Uzziah. He's standing there, and he's raging, and he's warring, and he's going after it. Can I just say something? You better be careful touching spiritual authority. Are you with me so far? I'm writing about it in my new book because I can prove this, and maybe it's the preacher's kid inside of me, but maybe it's a study. And I have learned that five things will happen to you if you touch spiritual authority. Number one, I've seen it. I can prove it. Number one, you get sick or die. Number two, if money's your God, you'll go broke. Number three, if you see them a year later, they look 10 years older. Number four, if their kids are teenagers and you lead a rebellion in church, they will backslide. And then number five, your marriage can fall apart. I've seen it. Now, the same thing will happen to a man or woman of God that is proclaiming to be something and not living it. Those five things will happen as well. One of those five things. But see, we're living in a time where it's about me, myself, and I. And the Bible says in 1 Chronicles 26, verse 16, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. I'm always amazed I travel around San Diego and other places, and they, I see the coexist bumper stickers. They used to take me off till I realized they were actually preaching the gospel. Because basically it's saying all religions are the same. Can't we get along? No. No. It's never going to happen. But you've seen those coexist bumper stickers. It's like it, it's it's got all you know from 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 science and and it's got Wiccan and and uh, it, it's got all these different stuff built into it, and uh, from Islam to Hinduism, the whole thing. And it's it's the coexist science. It's the science of all the world religions. But you know what? I was getting mad one day until I realized that the very last sign they have is a cross. And the Lord reminded me that in Romans 14 that every knee's going to bow, every tongue confess. And he said, Pat, actually you can try all those world religions, but everything's going to end up at the cross someday. Because every knee will bow, every tongue. So when I drive by, I'm like, praise God, way to preach. You're preaching, it all stops at the cross. Way to go. Proud of you. But 
But see, there's such a huge difference between commitment and surrender. Now watch, because the Bible said his pride led to his downfall, and he was unfaithful to the Lord as God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar. Pat, why are you sharing this? Because God woke me up this morning, and he took me to Obadiah chapter 3. Or chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. And he said, Pat, I want you to read this because this is America right now. And I'm not talking about our nation. I'm talking about the church. He's not coming back for a harlot. And the Bible says in Obadiah 1, verse 3, The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like eagles and make your nest among the stars, there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. In the year that pride died, oh, I'm hurrying. Stay with me for just a moment longer. But Pat, this is not your remnant message. Yes, it is. In the year that I didn't have to be seen, in the year that I could pray over my family, in the year that I could hold my wife's hand and actually listen. I can't tell you how many times I've walked into my house and God says, says to me, go wash your family's feet because you've carried them through a bunch of dung. I remember one night I came home and, and my wife was upstairs and I had been out speaking and I came in and the Lord said, go wash your family's feet. And I, I went upstairs and there was my, my wife and my son and, and it's before we got Abby. Nate was just a little boy and, and, and I, I carried a bucket up and, and I said, the Lord told me to wash your feet. I need to repent because I have been a jerk lately and, and, and I, I've just been full of me. And, and so they're sitting there. Nate's getting ready for bed. So I start washing her feet and I looked over and there's my demon-possessed dog, Legion. And... <laughs> I'm telling you, Yorkies guard the gates of hell. They really do, along with poodles. And they take over when the poodle has a panic attack. And, and, and so all of a sudden, I reached over and grabbed our Yorkie, and I just slammed it down in the water, and I said, I cast a spirit of bark out of you. You need to live in our house. It's like Disney. And the dog came up and just growled. She didn't want to be free. She's seven times worse, I'm telling you. But in the year, I could look at my family and say, I'm sorry. I preached one thing, but I hadn't been living it like I should at home. In the year, I could get lost in his presence and not look around to see who's looking at me. Oh, maybe this is just silliness. But it's what God put in my spirit early this morning. He said, you want to see the remnant movement raise up? It'll be those that don't have to be seen. It'll be those that will praise me regardless. It's Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I, he goes on to say, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. James chapter 1 said it best. He said, is it not true that most of the battles that happen on the inside are caused by the battles on the outside? And it goes on to say that God opposes the pride. See, I dealt years and years with a failure spirit. And I'll never forget one night I was stuck in Toronto, Canada, and the Lord showed me that actually insecurity and failure spirit is pride. And one night I was stuck in Toronto, Canada, and I was stuck in a, in a, in a, um, a hotel, went there to speak, and I'm at the Toronto airport. I'm staying at the Toronto airport. Went to speak at this conference, and a blizzard struck. And my son calls me. My wife calls me, actually, and she says, Nate needs to talk to you. His eardrums had burst. And all of a sudden, I am just like, 
I am just like weeping. I couldn't get home, and I had dealt for years with the failure spirit. I could preach to thousands and go home crying. It was an insecure thing. It was a failure thing. It was on my father, my grandfather. And, and all of a sudden, I'll never forget, Nate gets on the phone. He's screaming, Daddy, please come home. I couldn't get a flight out. The, the airport, I mean, it's bad when Toronto shuts down parts of the airport. And, and so I'm just stuck there overnight. They had canceled the conference, and the greatest thing that could ever happen to you is to get stuck by yourself because then you got to deal with you. you got to have a Jonah experience. And all of a sudden, I'm laying in the floor, and that failure thing came in like a flood. I mean, it came in like a cloud into that hotel room, and I started screaming, I quit. I quit, God. I can't do this. My son's screaming, wanting me home. My wife was freaking out and now about me. This is years ago before I grew up a little bit. She called my friend John Bevere. John called and said, come on, Pat. All these different people are calling, and, 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 and I'm just like, leave me alone. I mean, it was the weirdest, weirdest, most demonic, demonic attack. I was ready to abandon everything, and the Lord said to me, do you know what your problem is, Pat? And I said, what, Jesus? In the floor, wrestling with him. He said, you've never resurrected. You just keep redecorating the same old tomb. Because when you finally get free, when you finally come out of your tomb experience, people won't recognize you. And I said, Lord, what do you mean? He said, look at John chapter 20. When I came out of the tomb, he said, son, Mary thought I was the gardener. And everybody thinks she, was missed. she missed it, but she was actually prophetic because he is the gardener. Genesis 2 says Adam was the garden. Our gardener. Are you with me? So when she said he must be the gardener, she was actually speaking truth. Thinking him to be the gardener. And then he said, Mary. And she turned around and said, teacher, Rabboni. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, Pat, when you finally come out of your tomb experience and finally resurrect with me what Pastor talked about this morning, when you finally get free, people will not see you for who you've been. They'll see you for what I created to be originally. Jesus came out of the tomb and became the second Adam. That's why he was known as the gardener. And God says, I'm looking for people that will finally get up out of the tomb, quit decorating the dead body, quit decorating the old stuff, and finally come out and be different and experience the life of Christ. And when you walk through, they won't see you for who you used to be. They'll see you for who you're called to be now. Somebody give God a praise. Oh, listen, I, I could go so much deeper on pride. If you don't believe it, just, just read about Miriam and Aaron. And the Bible says that they questioned Moses' authority, and it says, and God heard it, and they got leprosy. Or Miriam did. But there's a moment when you take the veil off. It is 2 Corinthians 3.13. Moses refused to do it because he was so full of pride. And to this day, the Jewish mind is still dull because of it. But God says, I have removed the veil for you to see me. I love a great poem from Beth Moore. She said this. She said, my name is pride. I'm a cheater. I cheat you of your God-given destiny because you demand your own way. I cheat you of contentment because you deserve better than this. I cheat you of knowledge because you already know it all. I cheat you of healing because you are too full of me to forgive. I cheat you of holiness because you refuse to admit when you're wrong. I cheat you of vision because you'd rather look in the mirror than out a window. I cheat you of genuine friendship because nobody's going to know the real you. My name is pride. I'm not a big poem guy, but I love this poem. Now watch. My name is pride. I cheat you of love because you, because, because real love Real romance demands sacrifice. I teach you of greatness in heaven because you refuse to wash another's feet on earth. I teach you of God's glory because I convince you to seek your own will. You like me because you think I'm always looking out for you. Untrue, I'm looking to make a fool of you. God has so much for you, I admit, but you'll never know it because my name is pride. Listen to me, and I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting ready to go take you deeper. Are you ready for this? Because I have learned that the end of yourself is the beginning of God. 
I want to get to heaven with nothing left to do. And the only limitation is not Satan. It's not demonic forces. It's not all the other stuff. The only limitation to my destiny in changing the world and transforming lives from the smallest child to the oldest gentleman is very simply one thing. The mirror. I'll never forget I was worshiping one day and the Lord said to me, he said, Pat, I was complaining about things. And he said, Pat, when will I be enough? When will you just be satisfied with me? When will it not matter? Oh, watch, because i got to hurry. So King Uzziah dies. And King Uzziah has a good friend by the name of the prophet Isaiah. And when Uzziah dies, Isaiah's life is now in jeopardy. And the Bible goes on to say, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Now, you can read the first five chapters of Isaiah and learn a lot about Israel, but you won't know a lot about Isaiah. In fact, you'll see him declaring the state of affairs, almost a newspaper. Chapter 5, he says, I had a loved one who built a fertile vineyard on a hillside, planted the choice of vines, but it produced only rotten fruit. I mean, you'll see him declaring where Israel is at. But then something shifts because in chapter 5, he kept saying to everybody, woe is you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. But then we jump to chapter 6. There is a moment when the finger turns back. There's a moment when it's not about everybody else who has stopped you or held you back. Because the Bible says in Isaiah 6 verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, in the year that pride died, I saw God. He went into a bomb shelter that became a launching pad. you got to understand, Uzziah was his social security check. He was his protection. And that gets stripped from him. In the year that pride died I saw the Lord oh that ought to make you shout right there seated on a throne high and exalted in the train of his robe filled the temple and above him were seraphs each with six wings with two wings they covered their faces with two they covered their feet and with two they were flying you got to understand the angels what they're doing right now for tens of thousands of years, they have screamed, holy, holy, holy. And with two hands, they're flying. These aren't little cupids. These are warriors. I'll never forget, I was speaking at Bethany College in Santa Cruz. And I was getting ready to start a church for a season. And I was scared to death. I was like, what am I doing? I'm an evangelist. I was getting ready to speak that morning. And all of a sudden, as I'm getting dressed, I was just worshiping, praying. And, and I... And I I was standing in the mirror. I just shaved or something. And, and I look up and I look back. I felt the presence and I look behind me and I saw this gigantic angel standing in the corner of the Hilton Hotel in my room, standing in the corner. He was so tall that his wings were bent over and he was a centurion standing with a sword. I turned, I turned, I screamed like a girl, like a little girl that just saw some weird, goofy band. And I'm like, ah! And all of a sudden, I looked back, and it was gone. And I said, what was that? And the Lord said, I just wanted, to know you were, I wanted you to know we were here. I love it when I see angels. It's happened to me several times. We're preaching in New Zealand, this big move of God, powerful move of God, and the glory fell. It began to rain in the building. And when they brought the pictures up to the pastor's office afterward, they take pictures. And all of a sudden, they show it to me, and all I can see is orbs, faces of angels. It was crazy. It's really weird. 
Can you imagine what heaven's like? With two hands, they're flying. With two, they cover their feet. And with two, they have to cover their eyes. I bet every time they remove a wing from their eyes, they have to scream holy in a different turn. Terse. I believe they have to say it in a different tone because every time they look at him, they see a new facet of his glory, and they're screaming it. We think they're going, holy, holy. No, they're screaming it to each other. An angel over there, hey, he's holy. Yeah, I saw it too. And as their words are punching into each other, it's producing smoke called glory. Another one's like, dude, oh my God, it's him. He's holy. He's so holy. We've been looking at the same thing for millions of years, but he changes every time I see him. Oh, that ought to get on you. Two, they covered their feet, and they were flying, and they were calling to one another. We don't get that part. They were saying it to each other, not him. He knows he's holy. They're like, dude, hey, hey. He's holy. Yeah. We go to church and it takes six songs to get our engines revved. Because we have gotten to the place where John Michael Talbot told me, he said, over the years, worship has gone from going upward to going outward. He says, the whole earth is full of his glory. The sound of the voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. That's a church service. And then something shifts in Isaiah. He suddenly says, whoa, 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 it's me. I'm ruined. From my man of unclean lips and my live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues of the, from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. This is an upper room experience, by the way. This is a cross and upper room experience all in one. Watch. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? In that perpetual verb, he suddenly screams out, answering it. He said, Here am I, send me. What do you mean, Pat? In the year that pride died, and I'm going to say three things and I'm done. In the year that pride died, the first thing that happens is, number one, you have to have an upward vision. You've got to see God again. In the midst of the chaos, the war, the disease, all the pestilence, all the things Jesus prophesied about. He said, I saw the Lord in the train of his robe fill the temple. Now, you may have heard this, but whenever a king conquers a nation, they take the conquered king's robe and they tie it to the conquering king's robe. So when a king comes walking into town, all the kings, many of times, the kings would be chained up and, and being pulled in the caravan whenever he'd conquer lands. But he, that king's robe was now tied to him, and it represented bowing. So when it says the train of his robe filled the temple, we're not talking about some little building like this. We're talking about the heavenlies. And it says literally every king has bowed. Every king has been behind him everything that has ever had dominion from disease to fear to suicide to every other from buddha to islam to everything when god goes walking everything is bowing are you getting this that's why the bible tells us in psalm 68 verse 16 when you ascended on high you led captives in your train you received gifts from him even the rebellious that you oh god oh lord god might dwell there everything you led captives it says his train and then we see it again in colossians 2 2 verse 15. That's why we have the power, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 
to demolish in, in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive. We have a captivating God. So all of a sudden, Isaiah is in the throne room. The angels are screaming, holy, 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 holy. It is a throne room. The first way to get pride out of your life, if you've got to have an upward vision of God again, it's not about you. It's not about Instagram. It's not about who knows you. It's not about your followers. It's not about any of that stuff. Daniel even said it best. He said, 10,000 upon 10,000 tend to him. That's how glorious God is. 10,000 upon 10,000 are, are, are tending to him. And it says that he, they're worshiping so intensely, the heavenly realm of God is bouncing up and down. That's what I call base. I want to pull up to a car that's next to me. I live in Birmingham. I want to pull up to a car that's bumping. When you pull up, there's a, you know, they got like, they don't have 15s. They got 45s in the back or 82s, and they're all back there, and the whole car's bumping. I want to look at them and say, oh, turn, turn, turn down, turn down, turn Turn it down for a second. Hold on. You have no idea what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be the base party. I'm hurrying. It says, in the year that pride died, I had an upward vision. Then I had an inward vision. I said, I'm dirty. Let me tell you something. Just because you feel the presence of God right now does not mean you're okay. The presence of God is not his approval of your, for your life. It's his promise for your life. And when you walk into the presence of God, it is like an x-ray machine. He begins to point out all the cancer that you've taken in. And God says, when you begin to have an inward vision, when you begin to say, God, that's why he said, Whoa! He said, I'm ruined. You know the word ruined means? The word in the Hebrew, I think I'm saying it correctly, is dalma or dalma. It means to be dumb or silent, hence. You know what it also means? To be undone, to be unwrapped from your past. That's why when God begins to do a work in you and he says you must become like that of a child, he unwraps you from your history. All the stuff, Isaiah was having an unwrapping moment. God was beginning to unwrap him in his presence, taking off all the pain, all the rejection, all the other stuff. So when you say whoa, whoa, whoa is me. I am ruined. I am undone. I am now down to what I started out at so that God can take the core of me and do a work in me and break off all the junk and all the garbage. Are you getting it so far? And then it says he took the coal and burned my lips. Why? Because this is the gateway of your authority. Power of life and death in the tongue. Proverbs 18. Have you ever, have you ever gone to light up your, your gas grill and you forget that it was lit? I remember one time I was getting, to speak at a large, getting ready to speak at a large convention and my son and I were lighting the grill. We couldn't get it to light, but I forgot to turn the gas on, so I just took a match and I'll... Boosh. No eyebrows. I preached with makeup. My wife's like, come on, we got this. This is it. I'm done. He burned away all the stuff. He had an upward vision, an inward vision. This was a, an atonement moment. He had an upward vision where he saw God again. An inward vision where he said, I got to get clean. I got to clean myself up, man. I got to crawl into his presence again. And then he had an outward vision. What's the outward vision? It's where he began to see the fields again. 
Because the Bible says, as he stood there shaking in the glory of God, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, you know, it's literally a repetitive term if you study it. It's still going on. It's still saying it. Who will go? Who will go? Who will go? It's going over the intercom of heaven right now. Who will go? Who will go? Who will go? I happened to tap into it at 16. Who will go? Who will go? Who will go? And Isaiah probably looked around waiting on the angels, but they can't do what we can do. And all of a sudden, he said, here am I. If you can use anything, use me. Upward vision, inward vision, where you say, I'm so dirty, I don't have this thing figured out. Outward vision, where it becomes about the loss. When pride lives, you have an outward vision first because you're going to build your own kingdom. Then you have an inward vision where it's about you, and then you decide to add some God to it. Upward vision. When pride dies, you have an upward vision, an inward vision, and you have an outward vision. You say, oh God, I will never do anything absent of your glory again. You want to awaken America? Be the first one to fall on your knees when tragedy strikes because it's coming. When attacks come. Be the first one to worship when you have no reason to. Be the first one to, when your kids come to you, it is a natural reaction. I'm the same way. My daughter has infant asthma from being in the orphanage for so many for so long with lead in the walls and it hits about this time every year i want to be the first one that says instead of go get your inhaler and your steroid come here i bind you double leave my baby alone we are preaching a gospel in america that is so polluted that's why god got mad when they polluted the anointing oil we're preaching a gospel This smells good. It still smells good. They want it to smell better. But they polluted it. And no power can flow through the oil anymore. Why would you preach this on a Sunday morning standing out in the most beautiful city in America in San Diego? Why would you preach this, Pat? Because he woke me up early this morning and said to me, I'm about to bring the eagles to the ground. We're about to watch the stars fall. No more celebrity Christianity. I'm going to raise up the ones that no one's ever known. And about the time they start knowing their name, I'll ask them to dismiss themselves from the stage. I'm going to raise up 11, 12, 13-year-olds to preach as the oracle of God. And they're going to run up to them and say, what's your Twitter? What's your Instagram? What's your Facebook? And the kids are going to look through them and say, do not pollute me. God says, I'm about to raise up the ones across this nation that don't care if they get invited anywhere to speak. Why would I preach this? Because he woke me up early this morning and he said, quit soaring. Land. And I got out of my hotel, out of the bed, and I began to weep before him. And I said, oh, God, I just want you. In the year that pride died, I saw the Lord. 
Stand with me, if you would. Josh, you know why I like you? Many reasons. You're brilliant. You're gifted. You look like Brady. Academic. Working on your doctorate. But not once this weekend have you told me who you are. You just keep showing me him. Yeah. Yeah. That's who God's going to use. And the angels cry. What? You're not doing it right. It's not coming out of your belly yet, man. And it's not to the point where you're screaming to the guy next to you, Hey! Hey, cars at the red light! He's holy! Hey! He's holy! I just scared some people. He's holy. My God is holy. He's separate. He's not defiled. He's not Americanized, Europeized, Latinized. He's God. He's not impressed with who we think we are. He's God. When he looks at me, he sees a little boy that he held at night when his mom tried to commit suicide. He sees my wife, who Karen tells a story about how he used to come up and sit beside her at the park bench in school when she was so shy and scared. He's the one that came and visited my little girl in a dream and said, Abby, Abby, when you're in the orphanage, I used to tell you to hold on. Your mommy's coming for you. And in a dream, he, Abby came and told us, we laughed last night because Jesus said, see, Abby, I told you your mommy would come get you. We serve a God who knows every sparrow, every hair on your head. Not a single prayer falls to the ground. In fact, it's put in bowls. And the saints go, I got that one. That's my bowl. And God says, if you'll let me, I'll release over this area my glory. But it's going to cost you something. What's it going to cost me, Pat? You can take another offering. Nah, I don't need your money. <laughs> it's going to cost you something way more precious than that. What's it going to cost me, Pat? You take one of those offerings where they give rings and watch? No. What's it going to cost you? It's going to cost you you. Your image. Because when God walks into camp, he tears down the idols and tears down the images of the kings. And someday, from those who have declared their king, from LeBron to Elvis, they're going to bow. 
there are no kings. Only Savior Jesus. I don't even know how to give an altar call on this. I haven't preached this. It's what the Lord told me to do. It's just what he's put in my spirit, and I've gone probably a long time. I'm good with it. I think maybe best altar call you can give for this I surrender all just to live in you, Jesus, that you come. Now you live in me, no other way. Come on, let's repent of our pride. Say, God, clean our pride out. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I repent of my pride, God. I'm repent of exalting myself above you, Father, at ever at any point. If you're not a believer, Isaiah had a salvation experience. Cry out to the king. Cry out to Jesus and say, save me and forgive me. Watch what happens. You're going to get joy hit your life like you ain't never had. But all over this area, cry out say, God, God, I'm sorry. I was bigger than you. I repent. Jesus, I adore you. Jesus, I adore you. It's your life, Lord, I want, not mine. It's your will, Father, I desire, not mine. It's your life, Lord, I want, not mine. Jesus, I adore you. Come on, begin to praise him, begin to cry out to him, begin to praise him, begin to cry out to him. Say, oh God, oh God, I repent. Now ask him, say, Lord, show me what is in my life that is exalted higher than you, and I lay it down now. I lay it down. I lay it down. I am crucified with you. Not me, you, Lord Jesus. He is holy. Not me, oh God, but you, Lord Jesus. Oh, so holy. My heart cries out to you, oh God. Holy is the Lord. Holy, holy, holy. Oh, so holy is the Lord. Amazing God, how glorious. Father, I don't want anything anymore. I just want you. Trust you, Lord Jesus, just your life in me. 
just those things that pleases you. Oh, holy is the you Lord. You are holy. Yeah. Yes. Oh, oh so, so holy. holy. Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. And you are holy. You're all so holy. Holy, holy, holy. I will be your remnant, Father. I will decrease that you might increase. I will lay it all down. You are bringing back a purity movement. Father, I see it in the spirit right now. Lord, I just saw a wedding dress hanging. And I see you sewing a wedding dress for your bride. Pearls of wisdom wrapped around the neck. With a headdress that says, peace. The veil of the dress, Father, says secret place. The tzitzit, the outer edge of the robe, Father, says virtue. Restore your bride, God. I don't know what you're doing to me, Lord, but it's jacking me up. Come on, tell him he's holy real loud. Cry out holy. Tell him who he is. Great and mighty God, glorious and holy, 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 holy. so holy come on tell him you are holy oh so very holy lord oh so very holy i wonder if you're a dad and you've got your children around you or a mom or even a single parent, or you're single. I want you to, if you're, especially if you're a dad or a mom, or would you begin to hover over your family and begin to pray in the spirit over them right now? God says, "No nigh disease, calamity shall befall thee, because if you stay low to the ground, it cannot touch you." 
Begin to pray over your family. Begin to repent, Dad, if that's I've had to do it. Say, I'm putting God first in our house. We're going to turn off the TV. We're going to, learn, we're going to turn worship on in our home. We're going to restore the very mind of God in our home. When his word says, have the mind of Christ, we must have the mind of Christ. Not the mind of CSI. Not the mind of sports. That's all good. I love sports. Love it. But God says, will you put me back in your house? Will you open the front door and say, Holy Spirit, come back in? When you lay down in your marriage bed, will you pray over your marriage bed? Pray, pray over your intimacy. Pray over the romance to stay pure and revived in a fire.